So good to see you all here and your faces. So uh, excited about how the Lord has led us through this pandemic and uh, hopefully over the next few weeks, we'll see even more normalcy, uh, but grateful for his faithfulness to us. There's a verse in Paul's writing that has been particularly challenging for me in the past year. It's been a difficult year, I know, for many of us. So much uncertainty in our lives, in our church at times. And as I've dealt with and faced, as many of this, this room have dealt with and faced the uncertainties over the past year, this, this verse keeps coming to mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we read it earlier together. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Now Paul's discussing the heavenly dwelling that God has prepared for us, but somehow that reality is meant to cause us to live differently here. That because of what God has promised, we are called to, as the people of God, in this moment, at this time, until Christ returns, to walk by faith and not by sight. That's a very difficult calling, isn't it? When there's so much around us competing for our attention, when there's so much brokenness around us, threatening our lives, threatening our livelihoods, it's easy to get our eyes in the wrong place, to fix our eyes on something that will overwhelm us instead of a savior who can overwhelm us. It's easy to be distracted, especially when we're afraid. And we begin to walk by fear and not by faith. But the Lord has been teaching me something in the past year. I hope maybe you've learned a little bit of this lesson as well. But it's a lesson that I want to share with you today that I think is affirmed in our passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 14. That living by faith has everything to do with the object of our faith. That it matters where we set our eyes. Because it's only when we fix our eyes on Christ that we can live by faith. It's only when we fix our eyes on Jesus that we can accomplish what Paul challenges us to do in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. So, in light of the place we are today, hopefully toward the end of this pandemic, in light of the end of our 40 days of prayer and fasting that we've been engaging in over those 40 days, I want to offer us a challenge this morning to learn at least one of the lessons that God has been teaching us as a people over the past year and that is affirmed and strengthened by Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 36. I wanna challenge us as a people to focus every day on Christ so that we can live by faith. I want us as a people to not be a people who are overcome by fear, who live by fear, who are guided by fear, but rather are a people who are guided, lived by, consumed by God-given faith. And we can only do that if every day, minute by minute, we are fixing our eyes on Christ. Matthew chapter 14 is a continuation of Matthew's desire to paint for us a complete picture of who this Jesus is. And once again, he's, he's giving us unique revelation into the person and the work of Christ that's meant to captivate our hearts 
and lead us to this incredible confession that we will see in verse 33. Truly, Jesus is the Son of God. And so I want us to sit this morning in Matthew chapter 14 and I want us to behold the Son. I want us to behold Christ. I want us to see why he is worthy of this kind of attention, that he's worthy of fixing our eyes on, that he's worthy of this kind of trust. And I want that to stir in our hearts a faith that will sustain us and define us as a people. Because that's what God's called us to. So let's read together about this Jesus who is the proper object of our faith. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Here's what the word of God says. Immediately, this is after he fed the 5,000, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. We don't know exactly why Jesus did this. In other accounts of this miracle, it's said that some of the people wanted to make Jesus a king immediately. And so Jesus resists that by dismissing the crowds, sending his disciples away, and then he goes up on a mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there all alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, this is like between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking, they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water. He came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. As the same last week, This story is familiar to us. It's a remarkable story. And what Jesus does here is incredible. But I don't want us to to miss the forest from the trees. Let's remember why Jesus is doing this. Let's remember why Matthew is telling us of this miracle. The whole point of Matthew, including this story right here, is to to give us a greater picture of who Christ is and draw our hearts to him in the hopes that we will confess the central confession of the church, that Jesus is the son of God. And so he he builds these revelations on top of each other in the same way that he's been doing throughout his gospel to overwhelm us with the truth of who Christ is so that we confess and give our lives to him in faith. So let's see the revelations of Christ that God is offering us in this picture that's painted by the the writer Matthew. 
and how it should lead us to the place where we confess that Christ is the Son of God. Three revelations that are meant to lead to that great declaration. Firstly, Jesus is our great deliverer. The first thing that Matthew is showing us about the person and work of Christ is that he is our great deliverer. And he does this by offering a comparison of sorts to the former great deliverer of God's people whose name was Moses. You familiar with this guy named Moses? Big figure in the Old Testament. And in particular, Matthew's drawing comparisons in two aspects of Moses' story. The burning bush experience of Exodus 3 and the parting of the Red Sea in Exodus 14. Do you remember these stories? Let me just remind us, jog our memories for a moment to make sure that we appropriately make the connections that Matthew wants us to connect. In Exodus chapter three, Moses has just fled to Midian. You may remember he murdered an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew man and he ran in fear, fearing what the consequences would be for this act of murder. But God had other plans for Moses and he would not let him stay away. He had uniquely positioned Moses as an intermediary between the people of God and Egypt for a greater purpose, an instrument of deliverance for the people of God who were crying out to their God for salvation. And God reveals to Moses these plans for deliverance in this burning bush experience. An angel of the Lord appears to Moses in a fire that is upon the bush, and yet the bush is not consumed. And when Moses asks God to identify himself, who should I say sent me? Who are you? How does, how does God identify himself? Do you remember? Tell him who sent him. I am. Tell them I am sent you. That I am who I am. There's a phrase there in the Greek, Hebrews translated into the Greek, ego me. I am who I am. And that phrase is used throughout the Old Testament, throughout the, the Bible to identify God. He uses it as a, as a, a term of self-identification. And he also uses it as a source to comfort the people of God. That when he declares himself to be present in a place, that offers a unique peace. So to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, he says, Fear not, Abram, before the name change, I am your shield. That, that name used there. To Jacob in Genesis 28, 13, I am the Lord your God. Behold, I'm with you. Becomes Israel. He says to him, when you go to Joseph in Egypt, Genesis 46, 3, I am with you, do not be afraid. So this name is given to identify God and he uses it as his, his divine identification throughout the Bible and then it's supposed to be an encouragement. That's the people of God. So hold on to that. That identification of God with that term and how it's meant to be an encouragement. And then Exodus 14, Moses has led the people out of Egyptian bondage, but they're now in trouble. He went to Pharaoh, remember? And he said, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, let my people go. I don't know if he did the uh-uh, but in my heart, I believe that he did. <laughs> Vacation Bible School joke for those of you who don't know that song. It's coming. Get your kids in there. They're gonna learn that song. After 10 plagues, 
Pharaoh finally relents and he releases the people of God. But after they get out, he changes his mind and he sends his armies after them. And there's this incredible dramatic moment where the people of God are surrounded by water on one side and the Red Sea. And on the other side, they're surrounded by the Egyptian army. They are surrounded literally by death. There's no way out. And they are afraid. And then Moses speaks to them in verse 13 of Exodus 14. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. If he's taken you this far, he will see it through. And boy, does he ever. Moses, following the direction of God, stretches his hands out over the sea and the sea parts and the people of God walk over on dry land. And when they get across the sea, falls back on their enemies. And so they are no longer surrounded by death. They are free and their enemies are the ones who are dead. Now, in these series of, and, and, and these series of miracles, or these series of moments, God is, is showing us that Moses is thought to be the great deliverer of God's people. He's the great deliverer of God's people. He's done incredible things to, to bring them out of bondage and lead them toward the land of promise. But there's a new deliverer on the scene whose name is Jesus. And he is greater than Moses. Hear how he's like Moses, but also how he's greater. He hears the cries and the distress of his people and he comes to them. But he doesn't part the water. He walks on it. Isn't that incredible? He's greater than Moses. That's a greater work than Moses. And when the disciples need him to identify himself because they're afraid and they're embracing this, this false logic of the time that spirits exist on the water, God or Christ speaks to them. And how does he identify himself? It is I. Take heart, do not be afraid. And that it is I statement is that ego and me statement. He's identifying himself as God. He's not just a prophet of God. He's not just a representative of God. He doesn't just receive the message of God. He is God. He is identifying himself with God. See the picture that Matthew is painting here of our great deliverer, Jesus. And I want to challenge you today. Whatever fear has overwhelmed you that you may have brought into this room, let Jesus speak into it today. Jesus has been sent from God to save you. And he is God, so he can do it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is your great deliverer? Do you believe that you were in bondage to sin? Do you believe that you had no hope and you have cried out to the Lord? And at the exact right time, God sent the perfect representative for you, Jesus Christ, to deliver you out of your sin. And he could do it because he was God. Do you believe that in your greatest moment of desperation, God saw you and he carried out his eternal plan to save all of those who call upon him for salvation. Hear me this morning. You may be surrounded by death. You may think that your situation is hopeless. You may think there's no way out. You've got water on one side and an enemy on the other, but there is nothing that comes against you that God cannot deliver you from. He is greater Jesus is greater than Moses. He is our great deliverer. See him and find deliverance in him. He's the one we've been waiting on. 
to set us free from that which we could not save ourselves. That's the first revelation that Matthew gives us about Jesus. Here's the second. He's the Lord of creation. He's not just the great deliverer. He is the Lord of creation. And as we think about this revelation, we're going to get to see the unmatched, unparalleled power of God in Christ. The story not only connects Jesus to Moses, it also displays Christ's unique authority over creation, his unmatched power over the powers of this world. Grant Osborne, who's one of the commentators who I was reading this week, says there, there's actually a, a series of miracles in this passage. Normally we just focus on Jesus walking on the water, but there are several here that we need to be mindful of. Firstly, Jesus sees the plight of the disciples some three miles away from them in the midst of a storm. Think about that, right? He's on a mountain. He's praying by himself. The disciples left hours ago to cross a, a very narrow part of the Sea of Galilee. I think it's only like four or five miles. And yet they've been at this for six to nine hours. Think about that. Four miles, six to nine hours. It's like they were on I-20 or something at five o'clock traffic. But they, they can't get there because the storms are beating them. And, and Christ sovereignly sees their plight miles away through a storm. And then he walks to them on the water. Not just a moment, miles on the water. And when he gets there, he enables Peter, like you and me, to also walk on the water. And then he calms the storm. It's pretty miraculous, isn't it? And then on top of that, when they get to Gennesaret, he heals the sick. He heals all those who come to him and they're just touching his garments, the fringe of his garments, and they are being made well. well. What is Matthew showing us here? That Jesus has authority over the whole of creation. He is more powerful than any power on this earth. He's more powerful than nature. He's more powerful than the human body. He has authority over all these things. There's nothing that happens in this world outside of God's control. There's nothing that happens outside of the authority of Christ. And there's nothing that happens within the confines of created time and space that God cannot direct toward his glorious ends. Think about that. You guys, storms are powerful. You can feel helpless against them, right? Several times in my life, I've had the unfortunate privilege of being involved in hurricanes Floods, catastrophic floods. Even recently around here, what's up with this weather? It's like every week there's a crazy thunderstorm warning and like baseball-sized hail. What, are we in Egypt? I mean, it's crazy what's going on here. Windshields being busted out. Moses, our pastor, our Spanish pastor, got one of his windows busted out. Baseball-sized hail. What do you do about that? Don't walk outside because what happened to the window is going to happen to your head. You just pray, God, can, it, can you make this go away? Can this please be over? There's nothing you can do. This is so humbling. Storms, weather, it's so humbling. It's outside of our control. There's nothing you can do about it. Disease is powerful. 
Disease is humbling, right? Have you ever gotten or had a family member gotten a, a terminal diagnosis? Terminal cancer. Terminal autoimmune disease. Nothing you can do. You can hold it off for a while, but eventually it's going to grab you. What a humbling thing. But what is Matthew showing us here? Jesus is more powerful than them all. He's more powerful than the most powerful storm. He's more powerful than the most powerful disease. And he is doing a work. We're getting a glimpse of it, right? A glimpse of it now. But he is doing a work to undo every effect of the fall, every power masquerading as a supreme power. He will conquer and undo to show his unrivaled power. And he will bring about a new heaven, a new earth, joined by a new Jerusalem, a new creation, free from the bondage of sin that we will get to enjoy for all of eternity. And he can do it. He can do it. He's got the power. He has the authority. See the unmatched power of God in Christ. See the might of There is nothing, there's no one, there's no power stronger than our God. There's nothing that he can't deliver us from. You may think, Jared, you just don't know the sin in my life. You don't know the fear in my life. You don't know how powerful it is. I don't have to know how powerful it is. I know how powerful he is. He's bigger, he's better, he's more powerful. He can and he will deliver you. Now I want you to hold on to that as we go to our third revelation. That Jesus is our merciful savior. Isn't that an odd combination? He's a great deliverer. And here's the greatness of his deliverance. He's all powerful. He can do it. And at the same time, he's a merciful savior who wants to do it. You don't often see those things together, right? Great power and mercy Usually if you have great power, you're not very merciful. Or if you're really merciful, you don't have a lot of power. And yet those things are perfectly unified in Christ. Think about the power of God displayed in Christ and the way that God uses that in Christ to show us his compassion. Three distinct places I want us to think about where the mercy and the compassion of Christ are seen in this passage. He comes to rescue his disciples personally. And he immediately calms their fears. Secondly, he rescues Peter even when his faith fails. And he does so by personally touching him. And he heals the sick who come to him in desperation. Let's think about the personal ministry of Jesus for a moment because I want your heart to be stirred for this compassionate savior. Jesus could have saved his disciples in a number of ways. We just saw his power, right? We know he, even on the mountain, he's sovereignly seeing what's happening to his disciples on that boat. And in that moment, he could have said, all right, when stop. He could have. He could have gone to the edge of the water, put his hand up like Moses, and it would have stopped. But Jesus wants to do something different. He wants to show his disciples. He wants to show us something by the way that he went about orchestrating this salvation. He walks to them. He gets near to them. 
he meets them in their desperation so they could know that it was him who rescued them. The same thing is true of Peter, right? We often teach or think about this passage like Peter's the focus. No, Peter's not the focus of this. This isn't about us strengthening our faith to walk on the water. This story's about Christ. And Peter, although he does exhibit incredible faith for a moment, his faith fails. He begins to sink. And how does Jesus rescue him? Jesus could have spoken over him. He could have just said, stand up. He could have, I don't know, done some sort of weird thing where the water became ice underneath him. There's a ton of ways that Jesus could have rescued Peter in that moment. But what does Jesus do? He grabs him by the arm. He touches him. A reassuring gesture to reinforce what he wants them and us to see, that he is for us. And that Jesus will help us when we cannot stand on our own. And your moment of weakness and your moment of sickness, you just want to get a touch of his garment because you know that he is the one who can save you. It's easy to think that Jesus is not there in our times of trouble. It's easy to think that we're alone. It's easy to miss Jesus sometimes, like the disciples did. But here's the promise. Jesus is there, and he has met us there personally. And look at the ministry, right? Look at verses 27 and 31. The disciples in fear, they're terrified about the storm, they're terrified about this person walking to them. They cry out in fear, and immediately Jesus spoke. Verse 31 Peter's sinking, he was afraid. And immediately he reached out to him. There was no lapse between the cry of fear and the provision of God in Christ. Immediately it was met by this merciful Savior. Jesus cares. And he intentionally ministers to his people in a personal way. Don't you see that in our salvation story? This, this picture of salvation is just a, a, a little picture of the greater story of salvation. Jesus could have saved us in a whole number of ways. He could have declared our salvation from the throne, but there was something unique, something that, that brought God the greatest glory about him coming in person and personally for our own benefit, as a grace to us, revealing God in the flesh, touching us, allowing us to, to eat with him, to see him, to behold the glory of God, full of grace and truth in a human being. And to orchestrate our salvation, not at a distance, but personally, coming into the midst of our storm and speaking to us, it is I, do not be afraid. Stand back, as Moses said, and watch the salvation of God. How else do we know about the unique balance of power and mercy unless we saw it in Christ? And God wants you to see that because he wants you to be drawn to him 
as he's revealed himself in Jesus. And now notice how all of these revelations have led and are leading to the great declaration of our passage. That Jesus is the Son of God. Again, this is the central confession of the church that God will build his church upon. If it is true that he is our great deliverer, if it is true that he is the Lord of creation, if it is true that he is a compassionate, merciful savior, then it must be true that he is the son of God. Nobody else could be that at one time. No one else could, could be all those things at one time. And Matthew's been building all of these revelations to get us to this point where we realize the beauty and the complexity and the greatness of Christ and we are overwhelmed by all that he is so that we just fall down on our knees and we worship and we declare that he is the son of God. Do you see that, friends? Let's learn this lesson today because we cannot walk by faith without it. We'll can, we'll, continually be consumed with fear, will be consumed by the brokenness of this world. If we don't see Christ for who he is and set our eyes on him. Remember, faith is not something that you muster out of yourself. It is given. It is a gift of God and it's grown by God. Think about how he reveals himself in Christ and he allows that revelation to grab hold of us with the help of the Spirit so that we are given faith, our eyes are fixed on him, and then we can walk in faithfulness. It's all the work of God, and it has everything to do with us and the power of the Spirit being able to get our eyes fixed on who Christ is. Remember, this is how Michael Lawrence describes faith and his book, Conversion. Faith is not an emotion. God evaluates by its intensity. Faith is trust, and it is only as good as the object of that trust. If you place your faith in yourself, it's gonna fail. You place your faith in people around you, it's gonna fail. You place your, job, your faith in your 401k, guess what? It can be gone like that. You place your faith in Christ, it will never fail. He will never fail. Matthew is showing us that Jesus is the only object or person worthy of our faith. And if you place your faith in him, it will be strong. God will continue to reveal more of himself to you and he will strengthen you so you can walk by faith and not by sight. Friends, there's so much wrong with this world. There's so much difficulty in this world. There's so much sadness in this world. It is easy to get overwhelmed. Pandemics, politics, people, they can steal our affections. They can, they can divert our attention. We can be like Peter and for a moment we can have our eyes set on Christ. We can be walking on water and then all of a sudden this wind blows and you remember the circumstance you're in and you begin to sink. So easy to lose our footing in this life. We need someone to set our eyes on. We need someone to set our hope on that will never let us down and his name is Christ. That's how we walk by faith, friends. That's how we walk by faith. 
Be captivated by Jesus. Don't let your eyes get off Jesus and walk forward knowing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is your great deliverer. He's a Lord over all creation. And he's a merciful savior. He is the son of God. How can we respond this morning to the revelation given to us of Jesus through this word? Let me offer you four responses as a people of God this morning. Or those who are listening. Firstly, would you see Jesus for who he truly is? Would you believe in him today? Can we just sit for a moment in the revelation that God has given us of himself in Christ? Can we just be grateful for God's inspired word to show us more of the beauty of Jesus? Hear me. Do you believe that Jesus is our great deliverer? Do you believe that he is the Lord over all creation? Do you believe that he is a merciful savior? Do you believe that he is the son of God? Maybe for the first time today, you want to express belief in Jesus. Because in a miracle that many of us have walked through today, the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to the reality of Christ and you're seeing him in new ways for the first time. You're realizing today that you were in bondage to sin and you've been crying out. You even know where to cry out. But now you're recognizing that God sent his son, Jesus, to be your deliverer and he has the power to deliver you and he has the heart to want to deliver you. And you want to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you want to be saved. Oh, would you see Christ and would you give your life to him today? For those of us who have already done that, do you believe these things? Would you, would you pray? We're going to pray this in just a minute. Would you pray that, God, I want to believe, I believe these things. Help me believe them more. Help me see them more so that I can walk fully in their reality. Help me see them in new and fresh ways so that I can grab hold more of the beauty of Christ who is the Son of God. And then that's our second response. Ask for God's help to do that. See, and then ask for God's help to keep your eyes fixed on what it is that he has revealed. We are led to salvation from a revelation of Christ. We see Jesus and we respond in faith. But hear me, we are also sustained in that same kind of faith. It's Christ who saves, it's Christ who sustains. And we gotta keep our eyes on him to be walking in faith. Because think about this, when is it that we doubt? When is it that we fear? Look at the expressions of fear in our text. Verse 26, when the disciples saw this figure walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Then later, Peter, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. It's when we have an unclear vision of Christ or it's when we get our eyes off of Christ that we are consumed by doubt and fear. So let Christ clear, let, let the word of God clarify for you today who Jesus is 
and you fix your eyes on him and you don't let go. And ask God's help every day. Every day. It's easy, you know, right now for us to keep our eyes on Christ, I hope. And the hour that we're together. What about later today? What about this week? It's hard, isn't it? Would you ask for God's help day by day? Would you get up in the morning, get in the word of God and ask the Lord to help you? Uh, Would you remind me today of who Christ is and what he has done for me? And would you help me walk in that every minute of the whole day? Would you help me? Because that's the only way I can walk by faith. If you give it to me and you sustain me, it's the only way I can do it. And then thirdly, would you, as the church, help each other do that? God helps us do that, and do we help each other do that? Isn't that the blessing of gathering with God's people on a Sunday? Every week, on the first day of the week, we gather to point your eyes to Christ and to say, hey, this week, as you go as ambassadors for the gospel, you keep your eyes on Jesus. That's why we are committed as a people to be a Christ-centered church. Every song we sing is going to make much of Jesus. Every text we teach in the preaching moment or in our ABF groups, our small groups throughout the week, it's going to make much about Jesus. That is our singular commitment here. Why? Because there's no wisdom of man that's going to help you walk by faith. There's no self-help offering that I can give you that will help you be faithful in your pursuit of Christ. There's nothing that is of Jared that's going to bring you joy. We're going to resist that. We're not going to entertain you here. We're going to, we're going to point your eyes to Christ. Because we want you to be captivated by who Christ is. We want you to have your heart stirred for the glory of Jesus. And we want you to walk out of here in faith. Filled with faith. Because you are filled with Jesus. And you want to honor him with every breath of your being. What a privilege to be a part of a people who are committed to those things. When you come here, you know you're gonna get Jesus and that is what you need. And finally, when we do fall, would you trust that Jesus is there to catch you? Everyone in this room is gonna have a little faith moment. And isn't it scary how oftentimes they follow right on the heels of a big faith moment? You can be on cloud nine. You're walking on water. Huge expression of faith, right? Elijah calling out fire on Mount Carmel. The very next chapter, he's hiding away from a queen. Peter's walking on the water. And in a moment, it changes in his little faith. And he's falling. How many times is that true in our lives? But do you believe that even in those moments when you start to think that Jesus is there to grab you, will you cry out to him in faith? He's a kind compassionate, merciful Savior. And he wants to save you. And if you cry out to him, he will grab you by the arm 
calm the storm, and put you in the boat. Would you do that today? Maybe you're walking through a storm. Maybe you're in a season of difficulty. Would you fix your eyes on Christ? Would you ask God to help, and would you trust that he's provided this church to help that? And even when you fall, would you know he's there? Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking God to help you know how to respond. And the first way we want to lead you in response today is through an extended time of prayer. You may have noticed we didn't have our normal prayer time earlier in the service because we wanted to have an extended time of prayer right now in response to the preached word of God. Where we, again, just sit and the revelation of Christ that God has given us and seek to respond appropriately. So I'm gonna ask you guys to pray some things by yourself or with the people who you came with as an act of response, as an act of commitment to the Lord following the sensitivity of the Spirit. If you want to, you can even come up to these altars and pray. But firstly, would you ask the Lord to help you see who Jesus really is? Again, maybe you're already a Christian, but maybe you want these things to take even deeper root in your heart. So maybe you could pray something like this. God, help me see these things and help me believe them even more. If you're not a believer, would you pray, God, help me see these things and believe them to salvation? Would you ask God's help today to see more of Jesus as your great deliverer, the Lord over all creation, a merciful Savior, the Son of God? this picture of Jesus that God has given, would you ask God to help you keep your eyes fixed on him? Not just now, but this afternoon. Every day this week, that you would be so captivated by Christ that you could live by faith and not by sight. Would you commit to doing your part in that? Daily declaring your need for him, taking advantage of the gift he has given you in his word. Would you give thanks for a community of faith 
like First Baptist Irving that God has given us to point us to Christ? And would you resolve as a member of this body to help us, to help each other, to help your brother and sister keep their eyes on Jesus? Finally, in those moments when we do fall, would you pray that God would help you remember that Christ is near and that he is ready to catch if we cry out in faith. That in those little faith moments, we would hold fast to the gospel and believe that Jesus is a compassionate, merciful savior. And I want to practice that right now as I lead us through a prayer of corporate confession. We don't do this often around here. We probably need to do it a little bit more. But I think all of us can agree that there are times when we individually and we as a people have not fixed our eyes on Christ enough, not believed his promises enough and have been guided by fear more than faith. And so I want to confess that as a people And I want to rely on the grace of Christ to cover us. So I'm going to pray this, and I want you to just join me in this prayer. Father, we come, not as those who are strong in faith, but those whose faith is feeble, weakened because we have trusted in ourselves, in our own abilities, in our own strength, in our own intellect, instead of trusting in you. We have awakened from our beds even this morning and partaken of meals and moved our limbs and used our senses with thankless hearts, ignoring you, the sovereign Lord, over every detail of our lives. We confess that we have thought you to be a little God and the people of the land to be like giants. We have feared men rather than God. We have held up and revered people at our jobs, at our gyms, even in our own homes and in this church to give us praise and fill us with love that only you can provide. Father, we admit that we too often have set our affections on the things of this world. We've prized possessions, we've praised people, we've been captivated by books and entertained by screens. And we have thought of you the God of the universe who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist to be somehow boring. Oh, how sick our souls are. But we have refused to come to Christ to be healed. Our souls thirst for you, but we have refused to come to Christ, the fountain of living waters that we might drink and be satisfied. Father, forgive us for belittling the kindness and mercy of our Savior for being hesitant to come to him when he is ever so able and willing to forgive. Would you help us today, Father, trust you more and keep our eyes on Jesus. 
Would you help us walk in faith rather than fear? Take hold of our hearts with the beauty of Christ and help us to be a people, Father, who live by faith, who walk by faith and not by sight, we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. And here's the promise of that confession, friends, from Psalm 34, verses 17 and 18. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let's lean into that promise today, amen? Individually and corporately as the people of God. And let's stand right now and sing praise to our worthy God. <laughs>